When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. everybody and welcome to another edition of hang out in the holy land the flagship po- uh, podcast of land grant holy land i am your host gene ross and joining me as always is josh dooley and we've got another great episode for you today hopefully you guys checked out our big 10 preview from last week spent about two hours going over the rest of the teams in the big 10 that are in ohio state but today is the day that we break down ohio state football the season is right around the corner there is college football being played this upcoming weekend ohio state won't be involved in that but it feels like the season is finally getting going josh how excited are you to finally you know get some fun football under our eyes here in a little bit and get to see Ohio State take the field in in less almost a week at this point I'm ready to roll man uh this season especially a lot of unknown so I think it's going to be really exciting and really fun to watch and it's it's finally starting to feel real I've had some fantasy football drafts for NFL uh my teams are garbage but I know that my college team's not going to let me down so I'm ready to talk about guys Absolutely, yeah. I haven't done my fantasy football draft, but I will be getting there. I'm also doing a, a thing with work, which is a, a college football fantasy draft, which should be interesting. I've never done anything like that before, but obviously I will be grabbing a couple Buckeyes in there. Hopefully I could snag Chris Olave, but I doubt he'll probably be one of the, the higher picks in that draft, but I don't really For know sure. how it works, so we'll, we will see how that goes. But yeah, like you said, you know, it's start, starting to feel real. We're reaching the end of August here, the dog days of summer. You know, baseball starting to near the postseason, and college football is, is rapidly approaching. So today... We're going to break down the Buckeyes. We're going to talk about all the different position groups they got going into the season, some of the outlook for some of the positions. Obviously, a lot of turnover from last year's roster to this year, and there's there's high hopes for the program, as there usually is. So it makes sense to start at the quarterback position, where we have just recently learned uh, at the end of last week that C.J. Stroud has been named QB1. Ryan Day said that uh, C.J. Stroud will be the starting quarterback going to Minnesota, which is obviously next Thursday, September 2nd. And uh, it's not not very unexpected. You know, most people peg C.J. Stroud as a starter pretty much from the beginning of this position, but the, from this battle. But we've got confirmation now. Josh, do, are you are you happy with the decision? Are you surprised at all by it? I mean, we pretty much assume that C.J. Stroud would be the starter. But now that it's official, what are your thoughts about, you know, the way this quarterback battle kind of played out? I think this was expected. You know, C.J. has a little bit of experience from last year, but he's in the program or he's been in the program for a year and a half now. He's... Uh, all reports from camp are that he's looked really good and he has started to develop as a leader. So positive things on my end. You know, I am excited to see him out there really throwing the ball, taking uh, live bullets as you would. And, uh, you know, if we want to be like the rest of the social media world, I think we should take credit for predicting this. But I think the writing was on the wall all along and all throughout spring. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's honestly a good thing that like he kind of started as the favorite and ended up as the favorite because it kind of means that the way that the, the program valued him from the beginning is the way that it played out. You know, if this, if this was a, a position battle that kind of carried on closer to the to the uh, start of the regular season and it was something where like two guys were close, it could have been a little bit concerning to, that maybe one guy hadn't separated from the pack or that nobody really looked particularly good. But for CJ to come into this competition as the favorite and pretty much go end-to-end as the guy and end up with the starting role at the end, I think that's good for the team. I think it shows that, you know, he's he's a very good player, as as many expect him to be. And he's a guy that's going to lead this team, hopefully, to another national championship appearance and hopefully a win this time around. But 
He's filling some big shoes from Justin Fields. Uh, there, there'll be a lot of expectations for him, but I think you know it's it's tough to you're not going to expect Justin Fields type stuff out there. But I think the offense is in good hands with Stroud out there with his skill set. They have a he has a very similar skill set to Fields where he can run a little bit and he's obviously tossing the rock well if he won the job. So beating out another beating out guys like you know Kyle McCord, Jack Miller, and now Quinn Ewers is no small task. So to have him come out on top from pretty much the whole way is uh, impressive stuff, and I'm excited to see him finally get to get his chance to lead this offense. Yeah, I think CJ's going to be good, and I think good is okay. We've been really spoiled here at the quarterback position by Braxton Miller, JT, Dwayne Haskins, Justin Fields. I don't know that he's going to reach that ceiling right away. He could. I I wouldn't be shocked. I don't think we predicted any of what we saw from Dwayne Haskins especially, but I think all he needs to do is be good. He doesn't need to be great right away. He'll develop, and maybe he's going to be great down the road. But, you know, if he throws for 3,000 yards and 25 touchdowns, he could still lead us to a national championship. Those are pedestrian stats when you look back at some of the other recent Ohio State quarterbacks. But I think he's going to be good. I think there are going to be some growing pains, especially early. But... I I see a lot of upside with him. And you mentioned Justin Fields. I think that he is a little Fields-esque. He isn't quite the runner that Justin Fields is, and I don't think he has quite the arm. But do you think it's fair to say that he is 90 to 95% physically of Justin Fields as far as the mold and sort of the way they profile? Yeah, I mean it's kind of tough because like we still haven't really we haven't seen him throw a, throw a collegiate pass yet, so to compare them at this point is kind of tough. But I think you know, like you said, if he can, develops over the course of this season, I think we could see a lot of the same stuff from them. I mean, they both rock that headband the same way, and they both kind of have a similar hairdo, at least like when they were both in college. So he'll look a lot like Justin Fields out there, and hopefully his his play is is at least close to that, if not if not matches it, obviously, but. You know, luckily for CJ and the rest of Ohio State fans at large, he's got some pretty decent guys to throw to out there. Obviously, you have Chris Olave returning, who likely would have been a first or second round pick had he left last year, and joining him is Garrett Wilson as the top wide receiver tandem in the country. I don't think there's really any debate about that from anywhere. I don't think there's any school that could tout two receivers that are as talented as those two guys at the same time. So to have a quarterback coming in that's new, but to have guys returning like that, who I'm sure he's thrown to a bunch in this offseason as he prepared for the season, I'm sure they have a good rapport going, as well as, you know, I'm sure CJ, especially with the new, who will be the starting new slot receiver, Jackson Smith and Jigba, who will be replacing the uh, since-transferred Jamison Williams, I think they're going to have a really good rapport, too, because I'm sure that's a guy that when they're both on the second team, CJ's been thrown to a ton. So I think that could play dividends for Ohio State. I think Jackson Smith and Jigba could be kind of like a, a faster, more athletic version of KJ Hill, who was kind of that security blanket over the middle. And when guys are, you know, when other teams are really keying in on players like Olave and Garrett Wilson, to have a guy like Jackson Smith and Jigba, who we've already seen make some ridiculous catches in his college career is just an absolute embarrassment of riches for Brian Hartline in that wide receiver room. Yeah, I, I think that wide receiver and the offensive line, which we'll get to all of those, I think that they are going to help protect and insulate C.J. Stroud specifically or, you know, God forbid he goes down, any other quarterback that steps in. Those two units are arguably among the most talented units in the country at any position. So I think that Ryan Day, by proxy, and his coaching staff will be able to lean on their veterans to help their young quarterback come along. So I think that he's in good hands, both uh, you know with the coaching staff and the guys around him. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And like it couldn't it really couldn't be a better situation to have a new quarterback coming into because like let's say, you know, if Chris Olave had decided to go to the NFL last year, you'd still have Garrett Wilson, but then you'd have a bunch of guys behind him who are like very, very highly touted, but haven't had a ton of that experience. And Chris Olave has been such a leader and such an important part of this offense for so long now that I think having him back at the top of that lineup, at the top of that depth chart at wide receiver is gonna be super important for Stroud. He knows he's got a guy out there that he could always pretty much is always gonna be open. He could hit him deep, he could hit him short, he could make run after the catch. He could go up there and, and win the 50-50 balls. He could do pretty much everything on the football field. And it's just so important to have a guy like that on your offense. And to have that mixed with a new young quarterback 
just makes this like kind of transition from Justin Fields a little bit easier. And, you know, on top of those guys, just behind some of these receivers, I think Marvin Harrison Jr. could could play some really important reps this year. He's looked awesome in practice, and, you know, his dad's a, a, a Hall of Famer, so if he's even close to the, the production of his dad, he's going to have a great career at Ohio State. Also, you have, you know, former former five stars and both former number one wide receivers and Julian Fleming and Emeka Egbuka. So this wide receiver room is absolutely stacked. You know, if, if someone wants to go down or someone needs a breather, you could pretty much sub out anyone for one of these five-star guys and pretty much keep up that production. So I'm really excited to watch these wide receivers work. You know, we've seen a ton of clips of them in practice, making some ridiculous catches, and we've heard all great things about them during the recruiting process. So to finally see some of these guys on the field, it'll be it'll be really exciting. You know, this this Ohio State offense has gone from really a ground and pound to an air raid real fast, and this the wide receiver room is probably the deepest and strongest it's ever been. Yeah, you know, transitioning to those wide receivers, I think that we see – at least five or six guys play real time. You've mentioned all of them. The two that I'm really excited about just to see what their potential is and what they're capable of are Julian Fleming and Marvin Harrison Jr. I think those guys are really going to surprise if they get on the field. You know, Julian Fleming is almost a forgotten guy at this point because he was a little bit banged up last year, but he actually led the the freshman in receptions. I think he had seven, if I'm not mistaken, not, not a huge number. But he played in the North, uh, I think there's the Northwestern game or the game that Olave went down. It's escaping me right now, and I wish it wasn't. Yeah, but it was, it was Northwestern in the Big yeah. Ten game. Yeah, you know, so he got on the field. He's been in the program for a while right now. And so I would not be surprised if he actually became a slot guy, too, because if you go back and see some of what he did in high school, he was electric with the ball in his hands. And he's a stout guy. You know, he's a thicker wide receiver, he's a little bit more muscular and stout than these other guys. So you mentioned K.J. Hill. I think Julian Fleming could be in that same vein as well, and JSN. Those could be your over-the-middle playmaker types. And you've got Olave and Wilson on the outside who can really do anything. Um, Anywhere you line them up, they're going to be productive. But Julian Fleming's one. And then Marvin Harrison Jr., you hit on it. Coaches have absolutely raved about him in practice. We've seen some of the highlights, the -the over-the-shoulder catch that he had. I think it was this past weekend or late last week. He seems to be very advanced when it comes to fundamentals and maturity as far as his position goes. So I think that he could see early playing time um, just because of his background and his pedigree and what we've seen already. And then, you know, you've got Ibuka behind them. Five or six guys at a minimum, I think, really contribute this year. And I'm excited about the young guys because we know what the veterans can do. Not that we aren't both or we aren't all excited about those guys, but I want to see the unproven. I want to see the untested. I want to see what they can do out there when they get the ball in their hands and go up against some opposing DBs as opposed to the guys on their own team. So we're so deep that I think we can afford – if somebody does get banged up, I think we're fine. If guys need breathers early on while they get acclimated, we're fine. And who knows with the whole COVID deal, you know, this thing's still going around. And if somebody has to sit for a week, then it's next man up. So I think that position's in really good hands. And we've got the depth to combat any uh, sort of any missteps that, or uh, unfortunate instances that come our way. Yeah, for sure. And just looking at some of the measurables here in the wide receiver room, Marvin Harrison Jr. is actually like the tallest listed receiver at 6'3", 205. So he's a guy that, you know, you could kind of look to in the corner of the end zone for some of those fades. We saw some of that in the spring game. He caught a touchdown. He's a big dude, and he runs really fast for his size. So Mm -hmm. he's just an impressive physical specimen. And then Julian Fleming, they have listed at 6'2", 205. I wouldn't be surprised if Julian Fleming's playing closer to like 215, 220. He's he's huge. He's a huge wide receiver. Like he is Jack. So he's, yeah, like you said, he's he's kind of a, a different style of slot receiver where he's just a big target. So I would not be surprised at all see him get involved in this offense either and like you say you know they're really they're five six deep at this point in this room so anybody anytime anybody needs a breather you could pretty much slot in any of these guys at any position and they could make some things happen and, and on top of the wide receivers you know we don't really the tight ends at Ohio State really don't get a lot of love we always come into every season being like oh is, is this the year the tight ends get some catches and they never really do but it's a, it's an interesting season for Ohio State this year because obviously you have Jeremy Ruckert at the top of that room who I expect to be awesome Long Island represent but 
You also now have a couple of guys that have transitioned from other positions in in G. Scott Jr., who was a former four-star wide receiver, and Cade Stover, who was a former defensive end. So it's an interesting tight end room behind Ruckert, and I think Ruckert is is going to be one of the best tight ends in the country, whether he gets the the attention or the receptions that that would you know that would make him. I think he'll be do very well in terms of like draft stock because I think he's a very good player that might just not be used to his fullest extent in Ohio State, especially with all the wide receiver talent they have. But I'm really interested in the tight end room this year, and hopefully that that all pans out. But I really like you know. G. Scott Jr. and Cade Stover are both very interesting players, especially now that they've moved to tight end. Yeah, Gene, I am here to tell you that this is the year of the Ohio State tight end. I think Love that it. Love it. I don't even think it's bold to predict that Jeremy Rucker will probably um, break that 30-catch mark. Ben Hartsock was the last Ohio State tight end to have more than 30 catches in a season. He did that during the 03 season, and it's not been done since. Rucker was on pace, you know, full season last year. He would have finished around 25. I expect him in the 35 to 40 range. And if the young quarterback, CJ in this instance, needs a security blanket, I think Rucker could approach 50 catches because I think he is that safety blanket. He is going to run shorter routes oftentimes. And we've seen the great hands that he has especially in the postseason last year i think that they're really going to use him because they have not had this level of athlete since i would say jake stoneburner i thought i think that stoneburner was underutilized at ohio state he was a converted wide receiver from here in dublin ohio he was the last athletic tight end that i can think of on this level i think ruckert's actually better and he's a good blocker to boot so i think he's going to be a stud i'm with you in a previous column, I said that he's one of my favorites, or I would not be surprised if he ends up taking home the Mackey Award for the nation's best tight end. So I think we're in good hands there. And as far as his backups go, I am really excited about G. Scott Jr. I would I would never put this on somebody who we have not seen play, but he profiles as sort of that flex guy, that hybrid wide receiver tight end, almost like a Kyle Pitts from Florida. Now, again, I, I'm not putting him up at that status, but athletically, that's sort of the way that he profiles. So we could have two really athletic tight ends. And as long as G. Scott Jr. can block adequately enough, we know that um, uh, Stover is he's a contact guy converting over from the defense. So if they can get up to speed on blocking, I think we see all three play uh, a lot of minutes. But I think, I don't know, maybe midseason by the end of the year, I think G. Scott Jr. really comes along and he is used as the second guy and predominantly as a pass catcher. So I'm really excited to see what he can do. Yeah, I like the idea that you could kind of use those two in tandem and have mm-hmm. G. Scott Jr. be more of the pass-catching tight end and Cade Stover more as the blocker, as a guy who's used to, you know, playing defensive line, you know, so exactly. block defensive lineman because he's been one. So yeah, hopefully they're, you know, the, the combination of them two should be very good on the offense. And obviously Jeremy Ruckert, you know, Jeremy Ruckert's listed at 6'5", 250. That's a big dude. Like you said, we've seen him make a number of ridiculous one-handed catches, whether it be in the Big Ten title game, the postseason, or what have you. So he's obviously got sure hands. That's another big red zone target. You know, between all these guys, like Ohio State's red zone offense should be pretty sweet. Uh, you know, you got you got Ruckert, you got you obviously Olave and Wilson who could get open pretty much anywhere. You've got the six foot three Marvin Harrison at wide receiver. So CJ Stroud, you know, with his own legs too, could run it in. So you have no shortage of options when you get down towards the end of the field. And I don't wouldn't be surprised if you know Jamie Ruckert catches like twenty passes, but like ten of them are for touchdowns. Like that's just the kind of season he's probably going to have in this offense. Yeah, and I hope he does. You know, if he gets up to 30, 30 or higher catches, that'd be nice. You know, I'd like to see him succeed. He's, I think he's like the highest ever rated recruit from like my neck of the woods over here in Long Island. So we obviously love to see him succeed over here. And, you know, we have all this positive stuff to say about the offense, and we haven't even touched on running back, which has been such an important position at Ohio State in the last few years. And it's really the only position we're going into the season without much clarity, at least at this point as the time we're recording this. There hasn't been, like, a, a starting running back named, and I don't really expect them to before we see them take the field on September 2nd. But as of right now, I mean, the stuff out of camp, there's a lot of hype on Mayan Williams. You know, I'm the president of the Mayan Williams fan club. I love him. I'm hoping that, you know, if he does win the job, that it'll be fun to watch him play. And then you obviously have Travion Henderson and Master Teague also fighting for that job. Uh, at this current moment, Josh, what do you think of Ohio State's running back situation? And who do you think we see trot out there as the number one guy when the season starts? I think Master Teague takes the first snap, but I think that we actually see a true rotation this season. And You can find examples in the past of this working against teams uh, because one guy is not able to develop a rhythm 
but I think it's actually going to work in Ohio State's favor. You know, Master Teague has always been a timeshare guy, and both he and Mayan Williams, they welcome contact. They're physical bruisers. That's their style. They want to run, you know, into the line. They're not the, the, the biggest outside guys, but they like to keep it up the middle, and so they welcome contact. They're going to need breathers from time to time. I think that they will complement each other as 1A and 1B Early down backs specifically, they need to catch a breather. They've got a counterpart uh, to look to. And same thing goes with Mayan Williams. He is impressed, but we haven't seen him play a ton. And I don't think that you're going to keep the other guy on the bench. I think that it almost by default has to be a Teague and Williams situation. Like I said, specifically on early downs. And then you get to Travion Henderson. He's the new toy and the secret weapon. He played wide receiver in high school a little bit. So I think he is eventually going to be their receiving back, their third down guy, their spell guy, uh, like I said, their secret weapon. And he is also, he's a freshman. So you want to get him acclimated. That's why I think that we see a true timeshare so that these guys can ride the hot hand, stay fresh, and use their different skill sets because I think they're all three unique running backs. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think at least in the early season, as much as they could afford it, they want, they're going to want to get all of these guys out there and, and kind of see who separates themselves from the pack in real game situations. And the thing, like, I, I really, you know, I'm a big Mayan Williams guy, and I do think he's going to see a significant amount of snaps this year, and he will be an important part of this offense regardless if he's the number one guy or not. But I just, from what we've heard out of camp and what other guys have been saying, like, I don't see Travion Henderson not leading this team in carries pretty much in every game this year just because, like, everyone, all the players on both sides of the ball have said how special he is. And it's kind of, you know, we saw... Ohio State missed on on Bijan Robinson in 2020. He was the number one running back in that class. He wound up committing to Texas, and he had a pretty big year for them last year. He was a very good back. I think Trayvon Henderson is a lot like him, and is it could be even better than him. And so I just don't see how you could keep a guy like that on the bench, a guy who has the potential to reach Zeke like heights at Ohio State at his highest peak. So. I just, you know, I, I think, you know, by the end of the season, we might have a clearer picture and to start the year, it might be more of a rotation. But I do think at the end of the day, it, it's probably Travion Henderson's job for the most part. And if he, you know, if, if the carries are split in game one, I wouldn't be surprised if it's like, you know, like 50% Travion Henderson and then the other two split 25% each, depending on how it goes. You know, maybe, you know, maybe someone has a hot hand, maybe Mayan Williams or, or Master Teague really get it going and you got to keep them in and let them go. It kind of like what happened with Trey Sermon at the end of the year, where he just got hot and you had to just keep feeding him. But I do, th- I do agree with what you said. It will be kind of a, a rotation, at least to start. And I think, you know, by it's kind of tough because they can't, it's not like one of those seasons where Ohio State starts with a couple cupcake games and then runs into the Big Ten season. They start right off against Minnesota and then they get Oregon in week two. So you can't really test out that much against teams like that. But hopefully, you know, that as, as the season goes, you know, you got Akron coming up after that. You got some games where you should have some garbage time and really get to test some of your backups and see what you've got on, on your full depth chart. So. We'll have a lot of that coming up, but I think the running back is going to be a very interesting situation. But as, as we've kind yeah, of touched uh, on, the off, the whole offense is going to be so good that it, I don't really think it, it matters who's back there as long as they're productive. Yeah, I guess I'll sort of hedge my bets here and quasi-fall in line with your prediction. I do think Travion Henderson will lead the team in touch or lead the team in touches from the running back position. I just don't know if it's going to be carries because I do think they will be split up. But I'm with you that by the end of the season, he will – lead them in touches. I think that they are going to use him out of the backfield. Ohio State has not had a great receiving threat out of the backfield in in quite a while, at least not a great one that I can remember. Uh, You know, we kind of think back to J.K. Dobbins, who loved J.K. Dobbins, but the drops he had in the postseason a couple of years ago still haunt me to this day. So maybe that's what Trayvon Henderson brings to the team that we haven't had in the past. Yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised either if they work in some Evan Pryor, a fellow freshman, if he has a receiving back. That's kind of what he came here as a yep. his whole big thing was all purpose back as more of a receiver. But I don't know, I don't know how much like work he's getting as kind of that guy. We might see more of the other three guys, even if it is a passing situation. But I wouldn't be surprised to see him work in there a little bit just to, to catch some pass out of the backfield, like you said, because that has been you know when they're able to do it, it's a very valuable part of the offense, especially when they have there's so much emphasis on these wide receivers and tight ends you got to cover to have another guy that you got to worry about catching pass out of the backfield would just be another another level of this offense that would take them to the next step. Um, but you can't run the ball if you're not blocking well. And Ohio State's offensive line is not, it's probably not going to be quite what 
we expected it to be coming into this this uh, off season because it looks like you know all the reports coming out and what we've seen, what people have watched when they've gotten to watch these practice periods is that Ohio State might roll out an offensive line that actually has four tackles on it at once. If you work out the way that they've been lining up so far is they've had Dewan Jones at left tackle, they've moved Thayer Munford to left guard, and then they have Harry Miller, a true center in the middle, and then on the right side you have Paris Johnson Jr., a former five-star tackle at right guard, and then you have Nicholas Petit-Ferrer uh, at the other tackle spot. So you really you have four natural tackles out there with Harry Miller as the only guy playing his uh, playing at center as a non-tackle. So it's going to be a very, very large offensive line. It, it'll be, you know, it remains to see if that's actually Huge. what they go with or if they keep, you know, if they keep Thayer on the outside and they use a guy like Josh Fryer or Matt Jones at the other guard spot, which is what most people expected coming into this offseason. But the line should be really good. It's got a lot of depth. And if they roll out that offensive line, that is going to be one of the biggest lines in the country. And if it, if it plays up to its, you know, what it's expected to be, that could be a really, really valuable thing for C.J. Stroud and the running backs back there. Yeah, I think there are some unknowns here, but no concerns on my end. You've mentioned the the sort of movement that we've seen so far. I think that because he wants to move in there and the coaches have spoken highly of, of his leadership and wanting to do this, and they've also spoken highly of Dewan Jones, I think that we can see him start inside at guard. They'll pair him with the more inexperienced tackle, and then they've obviously got Paris Johnson on the side with Petit Friere. I think that that's what we'll see maybe week one. But I also think that there will be a quick hook or – I don't even know if that's the right term. I think that Ohio State will be quick to make changes if necessary because they have that flexibility. I think that they'll give Dewan Jones the opportunity. But if it's just not happening against an opposing defense, they can always put Munford back outside and mess with the interior a little bit. So the flexibility that they've got along that line is a good thing to have. And I think we'll see some different combinations – Week one and week two are going to be tough, but I think early on, this, uh, you know, outside of those games, we'll see some movement around before they ultimately settle on their top five. And that's a good problem to have. You know, September 11th, week two is going to be a big, big test to get against Kayvon Thibodeau in Oregon. They've got some really, really good pass rushers. So I think that will be the true litmus test, especially of the tackles. And we'll see who's going to stick there long term after week two, in my opinion. Yeah, and it's kind of a tough proposition because you have these returning tackles in Munford and Petit Frere who were just who played so well last year and were probably the best tackle tandem in the country. And to move one of them out of their natural position seems questionable. But I, I, I'm pretty sure I saw somewhere that Thayer Munford himself was the one that kind of went to Greg Sudraw and was like, hey, you know, Dewan Jones yeah. is playing so well. I, I'm willing to move to guard and if he wants to play tackle. And so if you have a guy, you know, one of your leaders, one of your captains who's willing to make that move and he, he understands what the best thing for the line is, if he didn't think Dewan Jones could play, he wouldn't say that. He, this is a guy that's played, you know, four or five seasons at Ohio State at this point. He's a veteran of the game. So to have him talk as highly about Dewan Jones, who, you know, I think everyone, all the fans love. You know, he's just a mountain of a man. He's a fun-loving dude. He seems like a really genuinely good guy. And to see him, you know, work from kind of this low three-star, two-star, pro, like kind of a project of an offensive tackle to potentially a starter is just really impressive. And it's, it's a good, it's a fun story to see. And if it works out, you know, Ohio State's line, having that huge left tackle is obviously huge for your quarterback, having that, that's those ends blocked off. And then to have more tackles on the inside is potentially greater strength uh, and then, and then Harry Miller, who back to his natural position at center, who struggled a little bit at guard. Um, it should be, you know, altogether, it should be a really strong offensive line. Like you said, their biggest strength right now is flexibility. They have these a bunch of guys in there that could play a bunch of different positions, and so to have a line like that with some depth and some versatility is definitely a, a plus uh, for the offense. Yeah, I want to hit you with a question, and it might be putting you on the spot a little bit, but because of that flexibility, and they have, and the fact that they have guys who have played multiple positions or could play multiple positions. We don't see it very often, but do you think that we could see some sort of offensive line rotation where depending on the game plan, run heavy, pass heavy, whatever it's going to be, do you think that we should we could see some uh, rotation on the offensive line sort of like we do the defensive line where we're playing to, get to guys' strengths? Or do you just think the expectation is, look, if you're going to start at Ohio State, you're going to be well-rounded, you're going to be able to pass block and run block, and, and that's just the way it's going to be. 
Yeah, I think it's kind of tough to rotate along the offensive line because, like, as you usually yeah. see across, like, as long as the season goes, like, these guys tend to gel and, like, they kind of they kind of learn each other's weaknesses and when they need to help each other out and they kind of just get a feel for each other as a unit. So to have guys rotating in and out, I think it would have to be, like, a drastic, like, one guy is drastically better at pass blocking and one guy is drastically better at run blocking. But then at the same time, if you have something like that, then teams are just going to say, oh, like, this offensive lineman's in, they're probably running. So, yeah. so it's, it's kind of tough. I do think, you know, if you're starting you're starting and then if, if it's an issue like you said like if there's a if you need a quick hook because a guy's just not performing and you got to move some guys around that's one thing entirely but i don't think you're going to see you know on a drive to drive or a play-by-play basis a different a different group out there or a different you know switch one position or one guy around i think it'd be tough to do that just because you want those guys to kind of get a feel for the game get a feel for each other and then by the end of the season have just a, a steamroller of a large five-man unit out there by the time you get to playoffs yeah i think that's a really good point especially the defensive um you know, aspect of it that you mentioned, they would be able to key in on that depending on your personnel. I just, I, I guess it would have been better to say that I think we could see some of that early on where they tinker with it. It's just like we've talked about, it's so difficult to do against a Minnesota week one where you haven't played anybody else and then Oregon week two. I just, I think there's a little bit of unknown. So I think they will experiment, but good point for you. I think by week three, four, five, they have to be settled in and that'll probably be the line that we see throughout the duration of the year. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, there's there's not many many questions on the offensive side of the ball. You know, most of the questions are just like, which five-star prospect do you want starting at mm-hmm. which position? So it's really not – there's not a lot of big problems to be had on the offensive side of the ball. But as, as we move towards the defensive side, there are a lot more question marks for sure than there are on offense. I think the only real position where we have any bit of clarity – is a defensive line, so I guess we should start there. You obviously have returning starters in Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith. Uh, you know everyone's been expecting for Zach Harrison to take that next next step. You know they've kind of been kind of unfair uh, expect expectations of him to reach like a Chase Young or a Bosa level of athlete. But I do think you know his ceiling is definitely there if he could reach it. But he he's been a productive player. He hasn't been a superstar by any means, but he's been good. I mean Tyreek Smith really came out at the end of last year. He had some. I think he's got a really good move off the edge. He's very fast for an end. I really like Tyreek Smith. I think he's due for a big year this year. And then in the middle, you obviously have Haskell Garrett returning, who was probably Ohio State's best defensive lineman overall last year. And then next to him will, will likely be Teron Vincent, who, you know, is, hasn't been able to stay healthy yet, but is a former five-star prospect. And if, you know, if he's not up to the task or if he's not ready to go fully, you got guys like Jerron Cage and Antoine Jackson who are experienced guys up the middle who could help, you know, fill a lot. A lot of that is run run blocking when you're up the middle, run stopping. But, uh, you know, the Ohio State has gotten some pressure. Haskell Garrett was pretty good at getting pressure up the middle last year, so they are also valuable on passing downs. I think, you know, Ohio State's defensive line is probably going to be the strength of this unit, if I had to guess. But, uh, you know, there's a lot going on there. Yeah, I think this could be a really special unit, and I don't even know if it's a guess. I think it's almost a certainty at this point. But I think that the ends are settled. I do expect a step forward from Zach Harrison. He has sort of been dealt a raw hand. He came up, he came in with all these expectations and he, he played fairly well as a freshman and then chaos ensued last year, right? They had a, a weird off season. They had the whole pandemic to deal with and we didn't see a ton of production from him, but I think some of those things were outside of his control. I think as a true junior and a leader of this team, they sent him to Big Ten Media Days. I think that they're happy with his development and I think we'll see the on-field product sort of start to creep up towards his potential. So I think he's going to be really good. I think that we see Jack Sawyer and JTT play a lot. I think they're going to play real snaps. So you've got potentially four really talented edge guys. And then there's also uh, Javante John-Paptiste, who I haven't given up on. Um, He was a high recruit as well. They've spoken highly of him within the program, just his development. I don't know if he's ready to be a big-time player yet. But I do want to see him get on the field and see what he has to offer. You mentioned up the middle. Haskell's going to be a rock for us. And I think Teron Vincent is another former five-star who hopefully is finally able to live up to his potential. You talk about being dealt a raw hand. Teron Vincent has had to overcome so much with the injuries. The talent is, is likely still there. It's just a matter of can he stay healthy because he's going to have a spot. They've seen him in practice. They know what he's capable of. They have confidence in him. So, you know, I hope that he's able to stay healthy, and I think he'll be a really good partner next to Haskell Garrett. But I also think that 
the loss of Tommy Togiai is a bigger loss than some realize. He was great against the run last year, hence why he was drafted in the third round by the Cleveland Browns. He and Haskell Garrett were a brick wall up the middle, two great run defenders. And so we'll see if Tehran can meet that level of production that Tommy Togiai had last year. And I think Tyler Friday is a big loss too. He is not the star power of some of these other guys, but he was experienced. He had been in the rotation. So a couple losses there, but a ton of talent that came in. And I think there's some flexibility there too. JTT is big enough that I think that we could see him slide inside, especially on passing downs. We could have that big-time Rushman package that we've always talked about. I don't know if Jack Sawyer's big enough to slide inside, but if you've seen pictures of him on social media and everything, uh, I mean, he's not much smaller than some of those other guys. He is stout, and he's got the 22-inch pythons like Hulk Hogan. So who knows? They could have a Rushman package of those four guys just wreaking havoc on the opposing offensive line and opposing quarterback. So I think they're really going to get after the quarterback, especially this year. They only had 21 sacks last year, which over seven or eight games is not a bad number. But nobody along the defensive line had more than three and a half sacks. That was Jonathan Cooper. I think that we see somebody with near or at double-digit sacks this year, and I think that we see those four guys maybe even reach five apiece each. I think that somebody is really going to have a special year because they're going to be afforded opportunities by the other guys on the line. They're going to prop them up and give them a chance to really get after the quarterback and, like I said, hopefully hit that 10, 11, 12 sack um, output. Yeah, for sure. And you obviously can't talk about this defensive line without talking about those five-star freshmen, Jack Sawyer, JT Tumaloao. I do think, you know, even if they're not starters to begin the year, they're going to they're gonna play a good amount of snaps. And like you kind of alluded to, Ohio State likes to roll out that Rushman package on obvious passing downs where they throw out four defensive ends. And I would be stunned at if that if, you know, by midseason this year, that package isn't uh, Harrison, Sawyer, Tumaloao, and Smith. You got to have those, their four best guys out there at once. And to have that how scary on a passing is that? down rushing quarterback. Oh, terrifying. I mean, you have that those I mean, are four five-star defensive ends you have that all at once against like probably, you know, a, a mid-level Big 10 defense uh, offensive line. Uh, that's that's almost impossible to block. I don't know how you do that, you know, especially when you have probably at least one of those guys has to be doubled if not two of them and you just don't have enough linemen to do that unless you're putting a full like heavy package out there with two tight ends. But, you know, that is going to be something special. I'm hoping that those guys uh, get some early playing time and we get to see them really pop off. And I do like what you said. You know, I do think this will be a better year for sacks. Uh, you know, some of that is on the, the secondary. They kind of got to hold up a little better, and we'll get to them in a little bit. But you know, getting to the court, Ohio State like their pressure numbers weren't terrible last year. Like they got pressure on opposing quarterbacks. They just couldn't right. seem to really get there and get the sack. And you know, we really saw that kind of come into play when they played Michael Penix, and he was able to get the ball out quickly, and they weren't really able to get to him all that much. But I do think this should be a better year for the defensive ends. Like you said, you know, last year, last off season wasn't really a good indicator of how good these guys were. You know, you're coming off a year where now you're losing Chase Young, and you've got to get these guys up to speed in a season where you didn't have a real practice. And so having another full off season to work with Harrison and Smith, as well as adding the five-star guys and some of the other guys uh, should, should really turn the production around that room. And I do agree with what you said, how Tommy Togia was really important to the run defense of this team, especially. I think they really missed him in the national title game when he had to sit for COVID issues. But uh, yeah, you know, that should be, there's a lot of strength in that room. There's a lot of highly touted prospects. There's a lot of guys who could step up, and there's a lot of guys who could take that next step, like Harrison and Smith. So yeah, it, it is an that, exciting year for that defensive line. Yeah, I think that um, the first two games are going to be a little more difficult for that rotation, being so new to the season. But it's going to afford uh, Sawyer and JTT to potentially get some experience under their belt. And I haven't done my Akron game prep yet. I haven't been super dialed into their offseason but I think week three or four when they play them, I can't imagine getting all four of those guys on the field and just letting them loose to unleash hell on the opposing quarterback. I think that that's where you could really start to see how special this unit can be against a lower level opponent. I think they're going to beat up on them. I think it could be destruction as long as those guys come along as we've sort of seen so far and as they've been talked about. Yeah, I don't. I haven't done any Akron prep either, but they went one and five last year. They had the 121st of 128th offense, so I don't expect they better it to get be it out a quick. ton better. There's my advice. Yeah, I don't. I don't expect it to be that much better, but that will be a good. Uh, that could be a, a potential game for a guy to get to a four sack total, like a in a, in a one game there. So hopefully we'll have some some garbage time there to really see all of the guys play a ton of minutes in that one. But we'll get there when we get there. 
uh, you know, besides the defensive line, as we move along the rest of this Ohio State defense, there is um, a lot of question marks. There's a lot that needs to be replaced. There's a lot that needs to be fixed from a year ago. So I guess just starting with the linebackers, you know, going into this offseason, the expected starters have been, they're moving to a 4-2-5, so you're really only going to see two linebackers on the field at once. And the two projected stars have been Taraji Mitchell and Dallas Gann, who have both more than waited their turn. They're both seniors, but there's a couple other guys, you know, that are still that are here that are younger that are really pushing for time. I know someone like Cody Simon has has drawn a lot of praise. He's a guy that I'm very high on. I wouldn't be surprised for him to, you know, potentially, you know, earn a starting spot if not get a good rotation with one of those other guys. Uh, Craig Young is probably going to be the bullet, and we'll get to that a little bit. But he's another guy listed at linebacker. You also have Court Williams coming off injury. A guy like Kayvon Pope, another senior who's kind of stood out in you know limited time last year, the last couple of years. So. You've got options at linebacker. Uh, you don't have tough rolling around anymore, so that's automatically a plus. Uh, they can't be worse than that. Uh, yeah, finally, it felt like it's been eight years, but it, he is now not on the team anymore, so you at least don't have that. So at the very least, the linebackers should be good. You're obviously going to miss. You know, Pete Werner has been very good. He was kind of, I feel like he kind of got dragged down with tough rolling, but Pete Werner was a very good linebacker here. He played a lot of good coverage, especially against tight ends. He had a really good game against Pat Fryermuth last year in the Penn State game. So he was a really good guy to have out there. And also Baron Browning, who was more of a, a kind of a rush linebacker, kind of the other guy on the other side. They'll miss him as well. But you've got a bunch of guys here, largely unproven, not a lot of playing time between the group, but guys that, you know, have, have a chance to step up. And a lot of guys that, and much like the defensive line, it's a lot of guys that they're waiting to take the next step and guys that who are filling some big shoes, but also filling some small shoes of tough Portland and can't really be much worse. Yeah, you know, this group is potentially my biggest concern, even more so than the secondary. And that might sound blasphemous to say, but there is zero experience, at least starting wise, um, within this linebacker unit. So I think there are some legitimate concerns there. I think that switching to the 4-2-5 may help. Um, You won't have three linebackers out there ever, if often, really. So you're going to be trying to dial in on your top two performers there. T. Mitchell was named a captain, so we have to assume that he has one spot locked up. Um, Dallas Gant's been great on special teams, but we haven't seen a ton of him at linebacker. Cody Simon, coaches have raved about him as well. They've had nothing but positive things to say about him, so I think that he will definitely figure into the rotation. And we still don't know if our USC transfer, we're going to try this, Paula EA, now Teote, we don't know if he's going to be cleared. It seems like this has dragged on much longer than any of us really anticipated or much longer than it ever needed to. If he gets cleared, that's going to be big because he does have that starting experience. He started USC for a couple of years. Um, so a lot of unknown. I think that there is a ton of talent and there's some really good athletes in that room. But it's going to be a little bit of trial by fire, especially going up against, you look at week one, going up against Minnesota. Uh, they've got Muhammad Ibrahim at running back and an experienced quarterback at Tanner Morgan. So they're going to be thrown into the fire right away, whether it's through the run game or some play action, whatever Minnesota is going to throw at us. So I think we'll get an early indicator of how good these guys are going to be or how much we need to possibly rotate. But you know, going back to the bullet position, which is more of a hybrid, I think that we need to use that to our advantage. You mentioned a guy like Craig Young. He's more of that true hybrid sort of sa- – he leans, I would say, more towards a safety than a linebacker, although he's put on some impressive size since he's been at Ohio State. But then if Cody Simon gets in there, I think he's more of a traditional linebacker. So I think that could also be something that is more game plan dependent whether they want to, whether they go up against the pass a lot more, or they want to maybe try and get some more pressure on the quarterback. I think that you're going to see some some flip flopping there. And Ronnie Hickman as well. I think they're going to try out all of these potential guys at the bullet to complement their quote unquote more traditional linebackers. Yeah, and I, I think at the end of the last practice, Ryan Day kind of said that the linebacker, like the starting linebackers, still weren't set in stone, which I think is actually a really good sign because it shows that they're not just giving in to seniority like they kind of did with the last group of linebackers. Uh, like you know, if they were just you know, if if Taraja Mitchell and Dallas Gantt were just your de facto starting linebackers, it's kind of just a nod to you know their seniors they're going to play. But the fact that they haven't named official starter yet just shows that they're letting these young guys have a chance and that they're going to put the best players on the field when it comes down to it. So I think as that's a really should. good sign. Yeah, as they should. And you don't have another you know senior out there playing just because he's a senior like number 32 last year. But 
I digress. Uh, yeah, as you kind of mentioned, the bullet is another interesting addition to this defense, and I think it is something that'll help kind of ease into some of the losses at linebacker and trying to find these new guys. To my understanding, uh, Craig Young and Ronnie Hickman are the two guys that are really going to get the majority of the playing time at bullet, and I really like the way that that potentially shapes out because you have a guy in Craig Young who was recruited as a natural linebacker and kind of a little bit of a bigger guy, and then you have a guy in Ronnie Hickman who was recruited more as a traditional safety and it's kind of that more pass coverage back end of the defense guy. So I think you could use those guys well. You know, you have Ronnie Hickman in on obvious passing downs, Craig Young on more early downs, some obvious running downs. And so I think that you could use those guys and their skill sets kind of both in different ways, and it gives you another another leg up just on defense the way that you can use these different personnel and kind of protect against whichever you think is coming pass or run and I really like the bullet position coming in this year you know we kind of we've heard about it before it was never really used that much they claim that Pete Werner was playing it but he was really just playing lineback outside linebacker and sometimes dropping back into coverage a little bit but now you're gonna have a true bullet only two true linebackers I think that's good for the middle level of the defense and it should help with some of the issues that we saw at linebacker it's not going to be you know the end all be all but I do think it's a, a step in the right direction for that unit for sure. Yeah, it's there's a lot of um, gosh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for. There's a lot of unknown, I guess, just to settle on something lesser at that bullet position, and I, I think it'll be part linebacker, part DB, like we've talked about. Each guy has their own strengths, but I think that there's potential that it doesn't work out the way that they see it happening. And you know, I don't want to be a pessimist about it, but. It's not something that they have truly embraced in the past, at least to this extent. So there's always the, the possibility that they play the bullet. Maybe they, they kind of run it out there as their, their uh, default defense. But that also allows more opportunity for DBs to get on the field. They may run some more true nickel-dime defense and throw five or six DBs out there with those guys as well. So... It's sort of like a chess piece that they don't know what to do with yet, but I think they'll get it figured out. It's just going to, like I said, the first two weeks, good, bad, or indifferent, we're going to see what this defense is made of against some some decent opponents, and I think it'll tell us a lot early on. Yeah, and as you alluded to, the secondary is pretty much the biggest question mark on this team. They were the, the secondary was really, really bad for Ohio State last year. It's the biggest reason probably why they lost the national title game. And, you know, they're not returning a whole bunch. They're returning a bunch. They're, they lost their top guy on paper, Sean Wade, who did not have a good year last year, but was still probably their most talented and definitely their most experienced corner. So returning, you will have seven banks as the as a returning starter, and that's really your only your only known commodity in the in the backfield at this point, and even he is still kind of up in the air as, as to what he fully is. People expect him to be really, really good this season, but it's still, you know, he still has to put it together fully on the field. But they do have a lot of intriguing options. The expected, my at least in my opinion, the expected starting unit out there will probably be Seven Banks and Cameron Brown on the outside if he's fully recovered from his Achilles injury, and then you'll have Lathan Ransom as kind of your slot guy. But they do have some other options. I have to have Marcus Williamson returning. As a graduate, you have a guy like redshirt freshman Ryan Watts, who's 6'3", 205. He's a, a bigger corner, but he, he moves pretty well for his size. Uh, they've really liked freshman Denzel Burke. That I've heard a lot about him. Uh, and Legend Cavazos, another redshirt freshman that's been getting a lot of talk in camp. So you've got guys competing out there. You've got a, a lot of options like you do at linebacker, but it's a lot of unproven options kind of in the same vein. So like kind of you said, we're really not going to know what this team, this defense is on the back end, especially until we see them take the field against real opponents. But I like a lot of the things they have going on out there. They have a lot of names. Obviously, you know, they also brought in the two true freshmen in Jordan Hancock and Ja'Kalen Johnson, who might get a little bit of reps early on. I don't see them starting right away, but they will be guys who could maybe help out depth-wise. Um, Josh, what are, your, what are your thoughts overall on kind of the secondary and what the, the pieces they have? I'm actually more optimistic about this unit, um, and, and it's hard not to be. They finished 122nd out of 127 as far as uh, pass yards given up per game last year. It's hard not to improve on that. But I, I think that, A, it has to be better, and B, it will be better for a number of reasons. They've got a ton of talent in that room, and – a lot of them were at least in the program last year, and they got to see sort of the the bad the bad part of lack of preparation and lack of cohesion. I think that even though some of those guys didn't play a lot last year, they got good experience and they got good practice reps when they were able to. So I think that they're going to be further along than we might think. Uh, you know, you mentioned some names. I think Lithon Ransom 
is going to be a real weapon uh, for this team. I think that he's going to be the slot guy. Uh, I agree with you there, but I think he he also has some safety potential or like coverage safety potential. So I think you can see him move around a little bit. I think that Ryan yeah, Watts. Yeah, I think is, he was actually recruited as a safety, so he has he definitely has that backfield potential. Yeah, like a, a honey badger esque skill set. Again, not to put somebody at, at that same level, but the skill sets might be similar. Um, Ryan Watts, redshirt freshman. You mentioned him. He's got a unique kind of size to him at six three, six two, six three. So I think that uh, you know when it comes to certain matchups. They may find a spot for him or find some playing time for him, and they've spoken highly of him within the program. But my main reason for optimism is the freshmen that have come in. Again, it's going to be hard to get them on the field really early, but Denzel Burke and Jordan Hancock have already had their black stripes removed. That speaks highly to their kind of development within the program so far. Ja'Kalen Johnson was actually the higher recruit of all three of those guys, so I think that once they get acclimated to the college game, I think they're going to start pressing for playing time. And if some of these older guys aren't getting it done or they don't look that great against your Minnesotas and your Oregons, I think we're going to see the young the young guys get in there and get in there early. So that's my optimism for this unit. I think that we have a ton of potential. They're just unproven. But by default, they're going to get thrown out there. I think that Seven Banks is going to be a steady presence and Cam Brown, as long as he's 100% healthy, he's got experience in the program and the, the coaches are ready to lean on him as sort of that number two corner. So, again, maybe they're not at that Marshawn Lattimore, Denzel Burke level, but they, they've got the talent and they're getting the experience and they'll only get more as the season wears on. So... Again, I think I have more optimism for this unit. And as far as Seven Banks goes, I think that he could have sort of an a Jeff Okuda esque year, where Jeff Okuda was a great cover guy, highly respected, highly thought of. Uh, he just didn't have the interception numbers, sort of that Deion Sanders syndrome, where, where teams don't want to throw at you. But he grew into one of the top corners in the country and was drafted very highly by the Detroit Lions. Seven Banks is sort of progressing along that same timeline where people think highly of him. They think that he's got a great deal of potential, but he's been sort of flying under the radar. He was obviously behind Sean Wade last year, but I think he could be special. And if if, if things turn out well, he could be that next great Ohio State corner, and he can kind of carry the rest of the unit along with him. Yeah, I mean, I'd certainly sign up for, you know, Jeff Okuda-level production from Seven Banks. I think pretty much anybody would. And he has drawn some of that, you know, first-round NFL draft grade, at, like, stuff from the scouts. So he's got—he has the potential. Yeah, he's got the potential, and if he could put it together, that would be huge for Ohio State to have that lockdown corner. But I have a bit of a fun question for you, Josh. We haven't mentioned the most experienced player in Ohio State secondary, maybe not at the position, but Demario McCall is now in that cornerback room. Do you think there is any chance we see Demario McCall take a meaningful snap at corner this year? He is, bear in mind, he is 5'9". So it is kind of tough, but based on the one video we've seen at a practice of Demario McCall covering Garrett Wilson, uh, he didn't look that bad. So like, do you think there's any chance this year we see Demario McCall take a snap in the first or second quarter of a football game? I don't think it's a great chance, but I desperately hope that I'm wrong. You know, Demario McCall, Demario McCall has put in more than the time required. He's done everything that the team has asked of him and the coaching staff has asked of him. He's obviously athletic and talented enough to potentially play another position. I, I don't see it happening, but if I sort of want to play devil's advocate, if he can do anything back there in the second day, I think it's at the slot. And the slot cornerback is a little bit different in that they sort of deal with a different route tree and there's a different expectation there. So if he's going against a guy like a, uh, I don't know, like a Rondale Moore type on the other Dave side Bell. of the, yeah. I mean, if there's somebody on the other side of the field that is a smaller profile, a, a speed guy, and he works a lot out of the slot, then maybe we do see Demario McCall thrown out there. It could be, Hey, you're the fastest guy on our roster. You're, we're going to put you up against the fastest guy on their roster and we need you to keep up. And obviously he's been getting some reps over the last couple of weeks. So I've got a lot of hope that he gets out there. I, I wouldn't put money on it. But if he can be utilized, it's not like he's much behind 
some of these other guys. You know what I'm saying? He he possesses way more speed than your Cam Brown or your Marcus Williamson. Um, so maybe it's slot. I don't know. How about you? I, I feel like you were sort of leading me into something. Do you do you are your hopes a little bit higher than mine? I mean, I would absolutely love it. I'm just picturing a DeMario McCall pick six in the shoe and Ohio State fans absolutely tearing <laughs> that place it. to the ground because they would go nuts for this guy. Because like you say, you know, he's been here forever. He's a guy that everyone's wanted to kind of break out, but he's either been in a position that's too deep or he hasn't quite, you know, he, he's bounced around. He's been a receiver. He's been a running back. He went back to running back, back to receiver. Now he's in the defensive secondary. They've tried to find ways to use him. He is probably the fa- pure fastest player on the team. They just need to figure out how to use him. And I think it is an interesting concept to kind of put him on the slot guy and just be like, hey, you're the fastest guy on the roster. Go cover that guy. And you know it's not—it's obviously not that easy to play corner. It's probably one of the toughest positions on the field, especially with all you know the penalties they call these days. And you can't really do anything against a receiver; it's a penalty. But I would love to see it. I don't—I don't expect it, but I would—I would absolutely love it. I I look at it like this: He's been around long enough, and he has experienced enough to where it's not as if we're asking a freshman or a redshirt freshman to switch over his position right out of high school, right? Um, DeMario McCall has taken plenty of reps at wide receiver and running back. So I don't know, maybe who knows better how to cover one of those gadget guys on the offense than a gadget guy on the offense or a former gadget guy on the offense. You know, I could be severely underestimating DeMario McCall. He may have this skill set because of his experience that he knows how to play against those guys. So maybe that could work out in his favor, the experience he has at those other positions for so long that, um, you know, maybe he's just used to the speed of the game and, and he's a smart enough wide receiver or was a smart enough wide receiver that he can sort of turn around and mirror that as a cornerback. Yeah, I mean, we here at Land Grant Holy Land are all for productive corner Demario McCall, so we will we will definitely be rooting for that. But then, you know, just to as we round out the secondary here, there's only going to be one high safety this year, and this will obviously be Josh Proctor. Uh, Proctor's a guy who you know has had a lot of potential. He's kind of had up and downs in the time he's played, but I think this year is actually going to be good for him because they're kind of playing him more at his natural position. Whereas last year they really asked him to play some of that free safety, a little bit more coverage, and I just don't think that's Josh Proctor's game. I think he's just a strong safety back there. Your last line defense a hard hitter come up near the line and I think that that plays well to his strengths and I think between you know the bullet and the 425 it'll kind of open him up to do more of his what his skill set allows and I, I'm high on Josh Proctor this year because I I really like him as a player I think they've just kind of they've asked him to do different things that don't really fit his skill set and I think this year he's going to kind of get to play the game that he's supposed to be playing yeah I, I like the way that he plays the game too he likes to lay the wood he is a true strong safety like you alluded to and my biggest issue with Josh Proctor in the past has been some of the mental mistakes. He, he has on occasion taken really bad angles as a tackler. But Yeah, he's no Jordan Fuller back there, that's for sure. Yeah, he's not, but he wants to hit and you know he wants to come up and support in the run game. So if we have the other personnel to let him do that, I think that he can be wildly successful. He's not, like you said, a Jordan Fuller or... Um, a Malik hooker, he, he's a different sort of player. And so I think that he he brings something sort of like a Mike Doss. You know, Mike Doss in the past was extremely cerebral. He was a, a very smart football player. And he can play some uh, some center field for you, but he was a smaller guy. He wasn't the fastest guy in the world. And they sort of let him play more of a strong safety, even despite his sort of uh, smaller stature. So if he can just do that or, or, or be something like the player that Mike Doss was, that's really what we're looking for. We don't need him to be the best center fielder. We need him to be a good combination of center field and big hitter, I guess is the way I look at it. Yeah, I would agree. I don't think that, you know, they're not, they're not, there is no next Jordan Fuller on this roster, at least that, that we know of right now. Maybe one of these younger DBs that they have back there will be that kind of guy, but that isn't, like you said, that isn't the kind of guy that he is. He's going to, he's going to lay the big hit. He's going to have some, you know, he's going to have some big misses, but he's going to, he'll, he'll hit more than he misses. And it's just, you he know, he's really helped the linebackers. If they oh, use sure. him in the run game, he is more experienced, at least as a starter, than these linebackers. So I'm not saying that they would put him at the bullet position, but. Hell, who knows? Maybe if a safety really steps up, they could move Josh Proctor down there. He's a little bit smaller. He's definitely more of a DB than he is a linebacker, but he likes the run game. He likes to support up front, so they can move him around as well. 
Yeah, they wouldn't hate that. Josh Proctor, Bullet, and find someone else that if there's somebody else steps up, like you said, at safety, then one of these young guys. And I think this this coaching staff is more uh, more into being able to move guys around and kind of letting the best, putting the best team on the field. So I think that you know this all plays into you know some of these younger guys playing. It's not just going to be Ohio State's defense can't afford to just play by seniority. You have to play the best eleven out there. And I think that the coaching staff they have out there now understands that, and they're going to be willing to do that. And I think that just just being able to do that, I, I swear that. Urban Meyer made Ryan Day sign an agreement that Tough Borland had to start every year he was eligible until he left to, t- to give Ryan Day the job. Because I just, there's no way that another player couldn't beat him for that position. So I think now that, you know, those guys are kind of out of the program and we have a different group of young and veteran guys, I think that they'll put the best 11 out there. Yeah, and we should we should see some improvement from last year's defense because if we don't, then this just I don't care how good the offense is, this just can't be a national championship caliber team if you don't fix at least some of the issues that plagued them on defense last year. Yeah, Gene, you brought something up that I really wanted to talk about, the the coaching staff, especially at linebacker and in the secondary. Al Washington's been with the program for a little bit now, but he um, followed in the dark, dark, dark shadow of Bill Davis, right? And I think that as he's been with the program a little bit longer, I think that he's going to have more freedom to experiment and put the guys out there that he wants to, like you talked about. And I think that he will – work in concert with somebody like a Matt Barnes because I think that we have a lot of guys with that bullet position who can be an either or. Like I talked about before, I think it could be game plan dependent. And so if those two guys are working together, you may see them switch it up and I think they're going to be open to doing so. Like we just talked about, if there's a safety who's progressing nicely and he's coming along, maybe a Matt Barnes or a Kerry Coombs sits down with Al Washington, hey, Al, we think that Josh Proctor could be a hell of a bullet. We think that he could be really good closer to the line of scrimmage. Why don't you give him a shot during practice this week? And they experiment with a little a little bit because I think that those hybrid guys, they're, they're easy to come by, but they're hard to sort of fill the role with just one guy. So I think if those coaches work together, they can get really creative with this unit as a whole, especially on the back you know, the back uh, seven, I guess. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of moving pieces, but we'll we'll find out very quickly what kind of team Ohio State is going to be this year. Should we, I guess we should kind of touch on the specialists just a little bit here at the end. Um, at kicker, you're going to have either Jake Seibert, redshirt freshman, very highly rated coming in, or uh, Noah Ruggles, who is a grad transfer from UNC. So those are going to be, one of those two guys will be your starting kicker this season. And then at punter, it'll likely be freshman Jesse Mirko, who comes over from Australia, another one of those Aussie punters that Ohio State loves so much. They've had a lot of success there. I don't expect this Ohio State offense to be punting very much, but when they do, they should be in capable hands. So Ohio State's uh, pretty solid at the specialists. I don't, you know, there there shouldn't be a game where Ohio State has to kick a long field goal to win it. And if there is, then there's probably some issues on offense that we didn't foresee. But at the end of the day, you know, those guys when they're called upon should be able to do the job quite well yeah i think mirko is um definitely going to be our punter we haven't heard a whole lot about competition there i think at kicker we could see some jostling early on hopefully they're not kicking a whole lot of field goals and uh either one of these guys should be able to bang home some extra points but i don't know i think noah ruggles could have a leg up just due to the fact that he's you know kicked plenty in college a leg up yeah, yeah, you like that? Um, I like it, I like it. Unintended pun, but I, I'm glad you caught up on it. Um, you know, full disclosure, North Carolina is my second favorite basketball team in college, so maybe I'm just partial to Noah Ruggles, but he has kicked before. He was 19 for 27 at North Carolina, I believe. Um, if I have my stats out correctly, maybe that was in one year. I, I kind of breezed through it, but he's been there, done it, and so... Maybe he starts, but we'll see. You know, Jake Seibert, highly recruited as a kicker uh, for what that's worth. So uh, the coaches the coaches will get fit, that figured out. And like I said, hopefully we are not kicking uh, a lot of 40 to 45-yard field goals, and it's it's not a big concern. Yeah, definitely. And so, that, you know, that kind of kind of rounds out our preview of this Ohio State roster. Do you have any any parting thoughts, Josh, as like a, as an overall thing? I think, you know, at the end of the day, this offense is a well-oiled machine between all the, the skill talent they have and C.J. Stroud at the helm. I think they'll be more than fine. They should be very, very good. One of the top offenses in college football. And then on defense, it's a lot of, you know, I think they'll be better than last year, but it's a lot of we'll see. And I think, you know, between the differing skill sets of Minnesota, which is a more run-heavy team, and Oregon, which is probably going to be a more pass-heavy team, you'll kind of get a good 
good view of what this Ohio State defense will be in the first two games. So I think we'll know pretty early on what we're dealing with what kind of team the Buckeyes will be this season. Uh, I have a lot of high hopes. There's a lot of good young players on this roster. There's a lot of good returning players on this roster. So, you know, Ohio State's always going to be good. I think this will be another good year for them, probably another college football playoff-esque type of season for them. Uh, Josh, what do you think of the roster just as a whole, as our kind of our as we go away and get ready for, you know, next week where games are coming? I think that the offense and the defensive line are really going to carry this team, especially early on. I've got the utmost confidence in all of those position groups. Um, and, and then I think that we're going to have some growing pains on the back end of the defense, but I truly believe that we are going to figure it out. I think that Kerry Coombs has had another year to set, settle in in his kind of elevated role. Matt Barnes is there. Al Washington uh, is a good coach, and they've got the steady presence of Larry Johnson. So I think they're going to put all their collective heads together. They're going to experiment with different guys. But by week three, four, five, I think they're going to settle in on something. And I'm really excited about the unknown. I think that the defense especially has needed an infusion of new talent. We've talked about the linebackers almost ad nauseum. We know that the secondary underperformed last year. So, you know, throw things out there. Throw things against the wall. See what works because you've got 100 stars to choose from. You know what I'm talking about on the back end. So figure it out, put some different guys in different positions to be successful. And and I really do think that we'll see a much improved unit this year, even if they are a top, I don't know, 30 defense in the country overall, they're going to be more than fine because the offense, uh, the weaponry and the firepower they have. So I'm with you. Um, I've got a ton of optimism about this team. I think that we could see them in the playoff again. And quarterback's the other thing. I, I guess I skipped over it a little bit. I, I don't know what C.J. Stroud is going to be. I know that the coaches love him. I know he's a former five-star recruit, and I've got the highest hopes in the world for him. Hopefully he is the next Justin Fields. But even if he's not, if we get 85 to 90% of that, I think we're going to be fine. I think that this team's going to be really good, and we're going to see some new stars develop and kind of pre- present themselves in 2021. Yeah, I, I totally agree with your point that like the defense doesn't have to be spectacular. They just have to be good. Like it, yeah. we don't we don't need the 2019 defense that was like all worldly out there to to win a title. You if this, this offense gonna be so good that as long as you could hold teams like under 30, you'll probably be fine. So you just as long as you're not having you know Michael Penix throw for 500 yards against you, you should be more than capable of winning the Big Ten and getting back to the playoffs with how good the offense is supposed to be and should be. And, you know, I think overall there's a lot of they have the pieces to the puzzle. They just got to make sure they all fit and, and paint the picture at the end of the day. We're both pretty high on this team. We will have, you know, this is really our last offseason episode. Starting next week, we'll have a preview for you guys for the Minnesota game. And then from there on, we'll have the, you know, regular season. We'll be coming at you twice a week now, starting with previews and then post games of every game, kind of breaking down what happened every week. So uh, we'll be, we're excited for that. Hopefully you guys are as well. Uh, And that's really it. So, yeah, yeah. Between this episode and last episode, you got three hours of Big Ten and Ohio State football talk to get you ready for the regular season. And uh, we're just as excited as you all are. So hopefully... Uh, it'll all it'll all work out, you know. COVID willing, uh, football willing. Hopefully, everything everything comes out great. It'll be a much better, more fun season than 2020 was at points when there was a lot more uncertainty. Whereas this year, we're a little more certain, and things are going pretty well to this point. So, for Josh Dooley, I am Gene Ross, and we will see you guys next week for game week.